morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see y'all, and uh, it feels kind of strange because this morning I, I didn't get to greet everybody as, as y'all were coming into the building or throughout the doors. Uh, so just the reason for that is, is our son was lucky enough to pick up a, a pretty good stomach bug earlier in the week that he's been throwing up and hasn't quite recovered from, and then he was nice enough to pass it on to me. Uh, so <laughs> I've kind of been avoiding everybody. I want to shake everybody's hand, hug necks and all that, but I don't want to get anybody sick or anything like that, especially on the day of the chili cook-off. So I- I'm just kind of staying back from afar and greeting everybody, saying hi. It's good to see you all this morning. So just a reason why if you haven't seen me this morning, that's kind of it. Uh, and as we go, just um, say a little prayer for me that God gives me the strength to make it through the morning. I didn't realize how sick I was until it was too late today, but that's okay. That's okay. We're going to make it. Um, like Emily men- mentioned, it is my birthday today. It's, it's strange to turn 35 whenever you're only 28 years old. Um, I don't know. The math got messed up somehow. I don't know who to talk to about that, but I'm still 28 in my mind, but the calendar says 35. Who else can, who, who else can agree with that, right? Okay, we've got other 28-year-olds here. Good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. No, I'm 35 this year, which, which sounds kind of strange that I'm, I'm getting closer to like 70 now than I was birth, and I don't, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> fun, fun things to think about as you get up in the morning. Well, so uh, just to get started today, we're, we've been in a series in the book of Hebrews uh, over the past couple of weeks, and last week we were in chapter one of Hebrews in the introduction, and we saw a lot of different attributes about Jesus, different roles that he fulfills. And I just want to review that for us because as we're going through the book of Hebrews, I I want to remind everybody that this is a difficult text in several places. And there's things uh, that the author says that we really kind of have to wrestle with. And I'll just be honest with you, there's some parts I still don't fully understand. And because of that, I'm not going to preach those passages to you because I'm not ready to preach them to y'all yet. Uh, So as we walk through this, uh, there's things that I'm learning every week as I'm preparing constantly. Um, So just, you know, walk with me through this. But last week we saw Jesus in the introduction. You know, it said that in the days of old and in many different ways, God has spoken to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So we see that Jesus was a prophet. We see that he's the son of God. The author goes on to say that he's the heir of all things, that through him God created the entire universe, that he's the radiance of God's glory, the imprint of his perfect nature, the upholder of all things, just by the power of his word, that he's the salvation from sin, and that he's greater than anything in all of creation, even the angels. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's so much greater than his name is greater than them. And last week we talked about how because of what Jesus has done, that he was given the name above every name. That at his name, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So as we talk about Jesus, that's exactly who we're talking about in the book of Hebrews. And we have to remember why the author is doing this in this book of Hebrews, who he's writing to is Jewish believers, or an audience that knows a lot about the Old Testament and has become believers in Christ, or is mixed in with people who are believers in Christ. So there's a lot of Jewish uh, teachings that, that the writer is trying to tell them about to show 
that the Old Testament is not invalid in the sense that it's wrong, but just that something better has come in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today as we talk about Moses and Jesus. And we remember back in the very first week, we looked at chapter 2. And in that passage, we saw how Jesus was our brother and also our great high priest. We remember Jesus became like us to be one of us in, in every way. He was tempted and he was tried, but yet he was without sin. So he's able to sympathize with us. He became one of us so he could represent us before God. And he is a merciful and faithful high priest. That's what we learn in chapter 2. So again, in chapters 1 and 2, what we've been over the past few weeks, we see all these different roles of Jesus, all these different attributes about him. And now we're going to shift gears a little bit this week. In chapter 3, we're going to start a comparison between Jesus and Moses. And for us, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But let's remember real quick, if you're talking to a Jewish audience in the first century, Moses is right up there with the cream of the crop. I mean, Moses is, let's just how we would say it today, Moses is the man, okay? Moses is the guy that God chose, and he said, okay, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to deliver my people out of Egypt. You're the man I'm appointing and sending to Pharaoh. You're going to be my sent one to deliver my people. God appeared to him in a burning bush. Uh, he had all the, all the plagues came through. Uh, Moses' warnings to Pharaoh, we see all these miracles Moses is the one who leads Israel out of Egypt. We see all these miracles in the wilderness where he's able to provide water for them. And he's able to intercede on Israel's behalf. I mean, Moses is a great figure to the Jews. So to say anything that would kind of come against Moses at all would, would be a big no-no in the, in the Jewish culture. Or to even compare somebody to Moses in the Jewish culture would be a big no-no. There's a couple of people in their culture you couldn't, you know, nobody could come close to. Abraham, Moses, David. These were like, the again, the, the cream of the crop to the Jews. So in this passage, what we're going to see is we're actually going to see a brilliant presentation that still shows honor and respect to Moses, but also shows how Jesus is greater, how Jesus is better and why Jesus is better. So that, again, just giving us some kind of context to this. Um, again, Moses was great, but Jesus was greater. And that's what we're going to see as we begin reading in uh, chapter 3, verse 1 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to them or, or turn them on, open your app. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has honor, more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant 
to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. I told you the book of Hebrews can be difficult, didn't I? There's a, every time we read these passages in Hebrews, it seems like we cover a lot of different things in just a couple of verses. Every time I'm preparing for these sermons, I'm like, we could do an entire sermon on just that one verse and breaking it down, walking it through all this. But let's, let's consider all these things together. Let, let's kind of break this down verse by verse and talk about what it means. So that first word, let's go back to verse 1 if we have on the screen. That first thing says, therefore. And what do we know when we see the word therefore in the Bible? What should we do? What's it there for? That's exactly it. We should ask ourselves, when you see the word therefore, you should say, what's it there for? And what that means is what the author has just said. Based on everything I just said a few moments ago, now this. And what was just said? Well, in chapter 2, we learned how Jesus was our brother and our high priest. Jesus was made like us, and he said, therefore, he's not ashamed to be called their brother. And we also saw how he's our high priest. That's what we see in chapter 2, our brother and our high priest. Therefore, what's the next two words? Holy brothers. See, we're tying back what we looked at a couple of weeks ago into where we're at right now. That's why we keep building on these things. That's why I keep reminding us what we go through. Therefore, holy brothers. Now, that's just the language of the day. They didn't say brothers and sisters, but I'll just break it down. That includes brothers and sisters, okay? Just want to make sure we're all inclusive. This is not, uh, it's, it's gender specific, but it's also inclusive as well. Women are included as heirs in Christ. Therefore, holy brothers. So who are we speaking to right here? We are speaking to the holy brothers right here. And what does it mean, holy brothers? Well, we have also, we've already established what brothers means, that Jesus Christ became one of us to represent us. He became like us in every single way, shared in flesh and blood, just like we all do, so he could become our brother. And literally, for the Jews, he was born of Jewish birth, so he was literally one of their brothers. He was one of their kinfolk, as we would say. Okay? So, holy brothers. But holy, what does holy mean? Holy means to be set apart. To be set apart. Now, some of y'all have never understood that before. Some of y'all thought holy meant something totally different, but holy just means to be set apart. If you are holy brothers, if you are brothers of Christ, you are set apart because of him. So that's who he's talking to right now. Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. It's that same group of people, the holy brothers. You who share in a holy calling. And what does he tell us to do? To consider Jesus. Now, the funny thing about this is consider Jesus. That at everything we look at in the scriptures, we should always be considering Jesus. Jesus is the standard. Not, not ourselves, not others, not, any, not anyone or anything else, but Jesus himself is our standard. 
Jesus is the actual perfect standard of God. Consider him. And then what is he? He goes on to say that the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now this gets, this will start kind of building into this as we, in a minute we go into talking about Moses. But Jesus as an apostle. Typically for those of us who have gone to church for any amount of time, when we think of apostles, who do we think of? Like the disciples, the twelve. That's who we think of when we hear of apostle. We don't necessarily think of Jesus as being an apostle. And Jesus wasn't just any apostle, he was the apostle. But who is he the apostle of? To be an apostle, all that means is that you're a sent one. You're sent on behalf of somebody else. So the twelve, the disciples, they are the apostles of Jesus. They are sent of Jesus. They're Jesus' apostles. So who was Jesus Christ the apostle of? He was the apostle of the Father, of God. All throughout the book of John, you'll see Jesus over and over and over. Chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, uh, in 14, and then right before he leaves as well. Over and over and over, he keeps reminding them that he was sent by the Father. That he is the one that the Father has sent. And not only is he just an apostle, but he does everything that his father tells him to. He does everything that he sees the father doing. He doesn't seek his own glory, but he seeks the father's glory. And everything he does is a fulfillment of the father's will. So Jesus, when we see him and consider him, we see this perfect, absolutely perfect apostle. And we've already read the full text here. We, we know that the author's fixing to start talking about Moses here in a minute. And Moses was an apostle too. Remember, Moses was living out in the wilderness. If we go real quick back over Moses' life, Moses got found in a basket by one of Pharaoh's daughters, brought in and raised in Pharaoh's home to live as a prince of Egypt. Then he murdered an Egyptian one day, protecting a Hebrew. And then he fled into the wilderness. And while he was a shepherd in the wilderness, God called him And he said, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses was an apostle. He was sent by God to go deliver the people of of Israel from Egypt. But we see that when we compare Jesus' apostleship to Moses' apostleship, we would see that Jesus was actually far better. Moses was a, a great man, but he was a flawed man. We know that Moses sinned. Moses committed murder before he was ever sent by God to do anything. So just right there, we can kind of see the difference between the two, where Moses was a faithful man, but Jesus was a a perfect man and a perfect apostle. But then also, he calls him the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, Moses was a lot of things. We're going to talk about some of that today, some of the the things that Moses was. Moses got to speak to God face to face, not just through dreams and visions as God would testify to. Moses got to talk to God the way we get to talk to friends. Moses did a lot of things for God. He had a very important mission. God gave him the Ten Commandments. He gave him the law. He did a lot of things through Moses, but Moses was never a priest. In fact, Moses' brother was made into a priest. 
That's another difference when you look at the difference between Jesus and Moses. Moses did great things. Jesus did greater things and more of them as well. So again, Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And what is our confession? Our confession is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our confession is that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's our confession. So we consider him as as an apostle, fully committed and obedient to the one who sent him. Christ was sent by the Father. And as the ultimate, merciful, and faithful high priest. We saw that in chapter 2, that he was a merciful and faithful high priest. And then in verse uh, verse 2, it also goes in and talks about how Moses was also faithful. Now this is very wise of, of the author to do this because... When he talks about Moses being faithful, he's giving credit to Moses. He's not trying to take anything away from him. He actually says Moses was faithful in all of God's household as well. In fact, what this passage of Scripture is doing is actually quoting something from the Old Testament. This shows a respect for Moses. It shows a knowledge of the Old Testament and an understanding, but still shows how Jesus is greater. If we go back this passage that we mentioned here, I realize now that text is way too small. I should have split it up. But Moses was faithful. I just mentioned Moses' brother Aaron. Moses had his brother Aaron and a sister named Miriam. And there came a point in time where Aaron and Miriam began to kind of grumble against Moses. And of course, God heard all this. And he called them three out and, and spoke to Moses and where they could hear. And this is what God said to them. He said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, this is God speaking. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, but not so with my servant Moses. He is, a, he is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? That whole passage is kind of a warning against Aaron and Miriam, just denoting, hey, I chose Moses for a very specific task. Moses is doing what I'm telling him to do, and he is faithful in my house. But it also shows us, again, Moses spoke face to face with God and beheld his his glory. So whenever the author is talking about how Moses was faithful in all of God's house, When he's saying that Christ is faithful, but he also says that Jesus is worthy of more glory and honor than Moses. Okay. Again, to to us that are are not from a Jewish background, that are not from a Jewish heritage, we we really don't understand the comparison here. I I can't really think of a way to put it in context for us to to understand today. but, But just suffice it to say that this was a very tough thing to say that somebody was greater than Moses. In fact, Jesus in his lifetime was challenged about this idea. Are you saying that you're greater than Moses? Are you saying that you're greater than Abraham? But Jesus was counted worthy of more glory and honor than him. And so this is how we get this. The argument that's used here, and I love this. If we remember back last week, at the very end, the last verse said that, that Jesus, that he was higher Uh, than all of the angels. 
as higher than his name was above all of them. This is a comparison. You have the angels who are, who are great. You have God. You have the angelic beings. You have us. We're made a little bit lower than them. You have that comparison and how the author describes it. Jesus is so far beyond and greater than them as his name is greater. Again, we're, I remind you, he has the name above every name that every knee will bow. Every angel will bow and confess that Christ is Lord. That's how much greater his name is than them. And the, the same thing is done here when he's talking about Moses as well. He doesn't say Moses wasn't worthy of any honor. But he says Jesus was counted as worthy of more glory than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Think about this with me. Who's greater, an artist or a piece of art? For a moment, you might sit there and think, well, I don't know, that, that painting, the Mona Lisa, is pretty valuable. Let's just take that one, for instance. The painting is pretty valuable. That one, we, we still have that painting to this day for hundreds of years later. That's a very valuable painting. But let me ask you this. Without the artist, that painting wouldn't even exist. Who was the one who stretched the canvas on that frame? Who was the one who mixed those paints together? Who was the one that put those paints exactly where they are supposed to be? The artist. So when we consider which is actually greater, the, the, the painting or the artist, it's the artist is much greater. But it's the same thing with the builder of a house. You have a house, and, and it's a great house. But without the builder, all you'd have is is pile of, of wood and lumber and bricks, and it, it could all be delivered to the spot where the house is going to be built even. But unless the builder gets out there and puts everything together, all you have is a pile of stuff. So the comparison that's being made here between Moses and Jesus is that actually Jesus is the builder of the house. It goes on to, to say this. This just reminds us that everything that is created has a creator. Just like every house has a builder, and the creator of all things is God. That's what he reminds us in verse 4. The creator of all things is God. The builder of all houses is God. Which is the exact same thing that he said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. We were there last week. That the Son, the heir of all things, through whom... He made the universe. Now, this is an argument. If, if you miss it, if you don't catch it, he's just equated Jesus not only to being the Son of God, the heir of God, the one through whom all things are created, but actually being God himself. To the Jewish audience, he's just said that this man, Christ Jesus, is God. That he's the one who builds all things. Jesus is the builder. And he goes on to build and continue this argument or to continue this teaching. He says, but, you know, Moses was faithful in all of God's household. We see that in the Old Testament. We're not contesting that or disputing that at all. But he was faithful, as verse 5 says it, as a servant. He testified of things to come. He even wrote messianic prophecies. If you want to go read Deuteronomy 18, uh, verses 15 through 19, where the people said, we don't want to hear your voice anymore, God. 
And he said, no, they're right. It's better that I raise somebody up like them to speak what I have to say. And if they reject him, woe unto them. You can go read in Deuteronomy 18. It's actually Moses talking about the Messiah who would one day come. Moses wrote about Jesus. But Moses was faithful in the household only as a servant. But Christ Jesus was faithful as a son. So let's continue our art. We've done a lot of analogies today. Art, artists, houses, builders. Let me ask you this. If you were in a, in a king's house, who's a greater member of the king's house? A servant or the son of the king? Son of the king by far. Nobody even had to think about that one. Everybody knew that off the top of their head. Moses was faithful as a servant. But Jesus Christ is faithful as a son and heir. The household of God belongs to the son. It never belonged to Moses. He was just a member of the household, a steward of the household who was faithful and did well and had a great ministry and calling on his life. But the household of God belongs to the son. Now we ask this, what does this household of God consist of? Is it just the Jews? Is it just the perfect people? Is it just the religious people? Is it just the people who have scripture memorized? What does the house of God consist of? We've already talked about our confession of faith, that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. The household of God is made of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And in verse 6, what we find is more of a proof, an evidence that we are of that household. It's not the only thing, but it is a, it's the fruit that comes from the root of being in Christ. It says, if we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. But what is our confidence? What is our boast? What, what is our hope? Is it our own righteousness? Because every single person in here knows they don't have enough righteousness to be right with God. Do we hope in the law? No, because every single person in here has broken the law. Do we hope in ourselves in any way? No, because deep down every single one of us knows we don't deserve to be with God. It's not ourselves, it's not the law, it's not our righteousness. If it's none of that, that's because our hope is what the author has already told us. Our hope is that Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God, that through his suffering and death, our sins are paid for forever, that he has cleansed us and sanctified us. He has set us apart to be his holy brothers and sisters, that he was raised from the dead, that he sits in the highest place of honor, and that because of him, we are members of God's household. That's our hope. That's our boast. That's our confidence. It doesn't have anything to do with ourselves, our performance, our knowledge, our wisdom, our power, our authority. It has nothing to do with us, but everything to do with Christ Jesus. And our hope is that every single word that he said is absolutely true. And we will bet our eternal lives on the words that came out of his mouth.
Because of him, we are made right with God. We are made alive from our death. We are made brothers and sisters of the king and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. As I begin to wrap this up, I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He talked about the household of God. And Peter uses this metaphor as well. This text is so small. There's no way y'all can read that. I'm going to keep going. But listen, this is what Peter says using the same kind of metaphor. It says, as you come to him, as you come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men. Remember, Jesus was rejected by his own people. He came proclaiming the truth of God. He was rejected by his own people and put to death for what he said. As you come to Christ Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you realize that the reason God accepts anything you offer him, the only reason anything you ever bring to God is accepted is because of Christ Jesus. You are the household of God, the living stones. You are that holy, royal priesthood that he has set aside to serve him and be his house. And because of him, your sacrifices are acceptable to God. I mean, this is just one of the many reasons why Jesus is greater than anybody else, including Moses. Moses was a faithful man. God used him for great purposes. But Jesus Christ was more faithful. And God used him for greater purposes. I want to remind us of this, what comes in uh, John. John chapter 1 verse 17 said it this way. That the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. God's law is true. It's right. It reveals his character. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is is our sin is what's wrong. It's what's wrong with us. But the law can't save anyone. The law reveals how lost and dead and far we are from God. What can save us is the grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. That is our hope. And that is our boast, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that was brought, what was brought through him was greater than what God had brought through any other man and would ever bring through any other man. That Jesus is greater than all others. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this time. God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture that we have just read and studied and and proclaimed. The greatness of your Son, God. Every week we keep seeing just how great and wonderful your Son is. We see all of these wonderful things that you have given to him, that he has fulfilled, that he has earned, God, that he deserves. 
He's the great high prophet. He, he's the son of God. He's the heir of all things, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of your nature. He is our brother and our high priest. And what came through him is greater than anything that came through any other man. And thanks be to God that it's your grace that came to us through your son, Jesus. Every single one of us is guilty of transgressing the law. Every single one of us is guilty of sinning against others, sinning against ourselves, but most importantly, sinning against heaven. But your son did away with every bit of that. After he made purification by his blood for our sin, he died, was raised again, and he is now seated at the right hand of majesty on high. He is the great apostle of our confession. He is the great high priest of our confession. And because of him, God, we are your holy people. We are the house of God being built as living stones for you. God, I pray that you would use us to continue to build your house, to bring others in, to, to share the good news of your son. God, teach us how to follow your son. Teach us how to walk like him, how to be faithful like him, how to be sent like he was sent, being obedient to you, saying what you tell us to say, doing what you tell us to do. May we follow in his footsteps. Our great apostle, our great high priest, and our brother who saved us from death. To him be all glory and power and honor forever and ever. And it's in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus we pray all this. Amen.